Just bless this time in the study of your word as we see the importance and the priority of studying the word of God and reading it and learning it and applying it in our lives. So Lord, I thank you that we are here. Um, and I, help, I pray that you would help us to be attentive to the things that you would have us uh, see in the text here tonight. And Lord, bless this time. Bless everyone that is here in this building. And we want to, Lord, um, just be able to uh, gain from what is here and learn, Lord, and, um, and benefit from it. So we give this time in the study of your word, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, of course, and he had heard from his brother Hanani that, hey, Jerusalem, as Hanani was over in Persia, where Nehemiah was. Remember Nehemiah? He was a Jew. He had never been to Jerusalem. He was born in captivity. He was a cupbearer to the king, and his brother came from Jerusalem, and Nehemiah's asking him, hey, how is it in Jerusalem? And he said, well, things are bad. The wall hasn't been rebuilt. It's been nearly 100 years since we've come back into the land. And so the people are unprotected. They live in reproach. So Nehemiah mourned over that. He wept over that uh, news. And he prayed and fasted for four months. And then in chapter 2, of course, you saw that he asked the king to be able to go back and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And in 445 B.C., King Artaxerxes, in the 20th year of his reign, gave that permission, Nehemiah, go back. And you remember, he asked him, how long are you going to be gone, Nehemiah? And so they set a time. And Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem. And as we saw that they would build a wall, even though opposition came against them, uh, there's Tobiah and Sanballat and some of the others that were trying to get Nehemiah off the wall uh, to stop the work that God was doing through Nehemiah and those there in Jerusalem building that wall. But God completed the wall, and yet we see that Nehemiah, he's such a godly leader because not only did he make sure that uh, things were done in coming back and building a wall, he didn't just build a wall and say, okay, guys, it's, it's nice. We built it in 52 days. You have a wall. Uh, I'll see you later. I'm going to go back to be the cupbearer to the king. But what was a priority with Nehemiah is that the spiritual things and aspect of the nation was put in place. Nehemiah being a godly man who feared God, who was one that prayed to God, who was one that really cared for the nation and wanted to see Jerusalem prosper, he made sure that those spiritual things were in place. And you see, that is a characteristic of a godly leader. You know, dads and, and parents, we have to provide for our family, don't we? Uh, those of us who are business leaders, those of us who have, um, you know, responsibility in ministry, there are practical things that we have to do. And I know being a dad uh, of four kids and, and um, you know, I need to provide for my family. I need to make sure they're taken care of. They got a roof over their heads. We all have responsibilities like that. We have the practical and, uh, you know, material, physical ends of things that we need to make sure are in place, but never forget the spiritual priorities, all right? And make sure that we are taking care of those things as well, because sometimes, you know, uh, um, you know, a man can say, well, you know, I provided for my family. They got food. They got a roof over their heads, and, and that's good enough. But the thing is, the spiritual aspects are what's a priority, making sure that our home is a, a sanctuary, a place that honors the Lord, uh, where our children are being raised up in the ways of the Lord. So those are the things that we don't want to neglect. And that's what I'm saying. Nehemiah, he made sure, yes, the wall is built around Jerusalem. What a blessing. They have protection. But then he would set Hanani, his brother, and Hananiah, another man, who was faithful to God, as we saw last week in chapter 7, and was one that uh, feared God over men. And he would set them to be leaders because Nehemiah is eventually going to go back to be the cupbearer to the king, to Artaxerxes. And we know that Nehemiah, he gets the Levites and the priests all in place. He's making sure that uh, the spiritual aspects are being prioritized once again. And that's what we're going to see here as we go into chapter 8, that he's going to make sure that the people are being grounded in God's word, that they're hearing the word of God, they're being taught the word of God, and also that they're applying the word of God. So chapter 8 here is really... Uh, 
a chapter that's important for us to consider, as I mentioned earlier, especially in the day in which we're living in. Nehemiah also, you recall last week, that we talked about that he would set a watch. He made sure that, hey, the gates, you keep them closed until high noon, and make sure you set a watch. Make sure that you guys don't become overconfident now that the wall has been you know, built around Jerusalem. You need to continue the watch, and we as Christians need to continue the watch. And one of the ways that we do that is that we continue in the Word of God. We continue in growing in God's Word and maturing, and that's an important aspect of our Christian walk with the Lord. So here in chapter 8, we see that Nehemiah, as, as he continues to do that, that all the people in verse 1 gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, you remember Ezra, that we talked about him in the book of Ezra, he brought the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. In verse 2, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So what we see here is that the Spirit of God is working through the Word of God and it's going to bring revival to Jerusalem and to Judah once again. And it's interesting, when you look at the Scriptures, when you see true revival that happens in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, for example, in the book of Acts, we see that it's always linked to that the Spirit of God is working with the Word of God that is going forth. And that's something that we need to take note of because today we can hear revivals that are going on. Revivals that include just weirdness and strange things. And there are those who will say that, hey, revival has taken place. And true revival is going to be when the Word of God is being emphasized, when the Word of God is multiplying, when the Word of God is being given and the working of the Spirit of God, the two coming together, the Word of God in a man, a woman's heart, the Spirit of God that is working in them, growing them, maturing them, and working in their lives, enabling them to be able to take the Word of God and have it worked out in their lives, that's when true revival is going to happen. And the reason that I mention that is because I know in my years of ministry, over 20 years, there have been different waves that have come blowing through the church, and people get all excited about it, and they say, this is a true revival that has taken place. And when you look at it, it's not according to Scripture. One of the things that I was listening to was um, a prophecy conference out in Southern California that was done just a couple of weeks ago. Ray Bentley of Maranatha Chapel, Mike McIntosh, and, and some of the others. And they were talking about the patterns and times that we're seeing in these last days. And Mike McIntosh, of course, has been ministering as a Calvary Chapel pastor for nearly 40 years. He was talking about how Pastor Chuck, he saw Pastor Chuck just a few days before Pastor Chuck last fall went home to be with the Lord. And, and Mike asked him, he said, what is your concern for the church? The one thing, and he said immediately that Pastor Chuck answered by quoting from Acts chapter 20. You remember that when Paul was meeting with the Ephesian elders and Paul was just sharing his heart with them and, and saying that I haven't shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. And he would say, take heed to yourselves and to the ministry which God has given to you. And, and he said that, remember that God has purchased the church with his blood. And he is ministering to those elders, those leaders. But then we know that Paul, he would say that, know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in uh, and will be raised up among yourselves and begin to speak perverse things, drawing disciples after themselves. And that was the one thing that Pastor Chuck said that I am very concerned in the day in which we're living in, that there's going to be those that are going to come amongst us, those wolves, savage wolves that will be raised up 
speaking perverse things. And they will raise up, uh, drawing disciples after themselves, trying to draw a name for themselves. And I think that we're seeing that more and more, unfortunately, in the church today. I feel very strongly about that we need to continue in the Word of God and we need to continue knowing the Scriptures. And that's something that Paul would tell Timothy in some of his last words that we have in the Scriptures that Paul writes in 2 Timothy. And, and you know the text. I want to read it to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3 that he says, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. And listen, I hear some say, Well, the last days are approaching. Listen, the last days aren't approaching. We're in the last days. And he says that it will be perilous times. And he begins to talk about that. And, and this was something that we looked at in our prophecy update on New Year's Eve. But as he talks about the condition of men, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. He goes down. But then in verse 10, he says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. That is, that Timothy, I have taught you the scriptures. You follow my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. Those are those, those churches that he established on that first missionary journey uh, that he wrote to in the book of Galatians that we just finished that book on Sunday. The persecutions I endured, and out of them the Lord delivered me. And yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Evil men are going to grow worse. Not that it might happen, but in the last days it's going to happen. You see, Satan will come at the church in two ways. He will attack the church. He's trying to destroy the church. He's trying to deceive. He's trying to do any way that he can to bring the church down. But also, not only coming against it directly, but Satan will also join the church. And he's an angel of light, a master deceiver. He's the father of lies. And that's what Paul is saying here. Listen, he said, in the last days, evil men... That is from the outside that are going to attack truth, attack that which is godly and good and right in the sight of God. And we're seeing that more and more. And imposters. What's an imposter? Somebody that comes within a group and is an imposter, a fake, and says, hey, I'm a leader. I'm, I, I speak on behalf of God, but it's not true. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, but there will be those who will say, didn't we work miracles? Didn't we do all kinds of work? And Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. And that always intrigued me there in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus said that. But here is the key. Jesus said, I never knew you. There was no true relationship. And that's why that it was important for us to understand in Galatians that there is one true gospel, and that is that we are sinners, and we need the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. We need to surrender to him, repent, and turn to him, and trust him for our salvation, and we are saved by faith alone. So that's the true gospel. And then living in grace, as we went over the last couple of weeks, doesn't mean that we just live any way that we want, but we walk in the Spirit so we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. And we saw what the works of the, you know, the Spirit is, the fruit of the Spirit, that is. We saw the works of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit, though, is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and patience and goodness and kindness and self-control. Remember that, because there are going to be those who will come along and they will say, this is what the Spirit is doing. And it ends up being completely contradictory to what the Bible has to say. And one of the other things that Pastor Mike was saying is that there seems to be this resurgence of what we saw in the 90s. That this, you know, whole movement of the Spirit that took on different names, the Toronto Blessing, the Brownsville Revival, you know, the the new wave of the Spirit, being drunk in the Spirit. And it seems to starting to resurge once again in Southern California, and they're dealing with it now, what they, we're dealing with in the 90s. And it's beginning to spread. And don't be surprised if it begins to spread again and people are looking for that experience. And yes, we're going to be drunk in the Spirit. Where is that in the Bible? When the fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. Not walking around in a drunken stupor or making animal noises, 
or whatever it might be. So I think that as I look at the church today, it very much concerns me that there are going to be those that are going to rise up within even the church, drawing disciples after themselves, speaking very perverse things. And that's why he says here that, yes, you must continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of, and knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He says, listen, Timothy, Timothy, it's important that you must continue in the Scriptures, not that it's a good idea. And you and I must continue in the Word of God. Because evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and they're going to grow worse and they're going to grow worse, deceiving and being deceived. And we're seeing it throughout the church, unfortunately. And it's something that's uh, on my heart that we be watching and we set a guard, we set a watch in our spiritual lives and for this church. And we stand for what is true. And so many people are getting caught up in this this new kind of aspect of the prosperity gospel that is not the gospel and word faith and it sounds so good and it's so wonderful and, and you know and you got to speak words that are positive and you know you got one that's saying God has already done everything he's going to do now the ball is in your court if you want success if you want wisdom if you want to be prosperous and healthy you're going to have to do more than meditate and believe. You must boldly declare words of faith and victory over yourself and your family. Now, is that the Bible, I ask you? That God has already done everything? He cried out from the cross, it is finished for our salvation, but he's done everything he's going to do. The ball is now in your court. That horrifies me. You mean it's completely up to me? Jesus said that without me you can do nothing. So this is one who has the largest church in America, who has a best-selling book, The Best Life Is Now, Joel Olstein, that is so popular that people stay at home to watch him. And it's time for us to stand up and say, this is not what the gospel is, and to stand on truth. And I don't like to be critical or cynical, but it's important for us to know that there are those that are come along and beginning to deceive others, and I feel very strongly about it. That the Lord desires for us to be successful. How is it that we're successful? Joshua chapter 1, Joshua, you want to be successful? Then meditate on the Word of God day and night. And live and apply the Word of God in your life. And be dependent on Him. Because He's already given us the best, His Son, Jesus Christ. And the Lord is my champion. It isn't a champion in you. So we need to be discerning, folks, in the day in which we're living in. And I'll tell you what, as you stand for truth, know that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution in the day in which we're living in. And people aren't always going to like it, but we want to give truth to others. So here's the Spirit of God working through the Word of God, and it will bring revival. Ezra described brings out the book of the law, that is, the, the first five books of the Bible. And it's interesting, at the water gate, we know from Scripture we're to be washed with the water of the Word, Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus would say that you're clean through the Word that I have spoken to you. And so there's voices out there that are, um, you know, making the waters a pure word muddy. And we need to be careful out there what we're hearing, what we're listening to. Check it out with the Word of God. John said, test the spirits to see if they are of God because many false prophets and teachers have gone out into the world and those gathered who could hear with understanding. Now, I want to make a point here, and I think that this is important. I want us to understand why we do some of the things that we do here at Calvary Chapel, that those who gathered with understanding there are some churches that get into the integrated family where they have everybody in the service. And if that's their conviction, that's fine. 
If that's what they want to do, they want to have everybody in, the families want to have their children in with their service, that's really, you know, between them and the Lord. And that's what some churches have done. I've heard some who really are, you know, advocates of the integrated family church and model and all that say, nowhere in the scripture does it show that children are separated from their parents in, in a service or gathering together. And I say, Nehemiah chapter 8, all those who could hear with understanding. In other words, there were no small children that were there. Hearing the word being taught. And I think that that's one of the reasons why, that as we look at this, we need to understand why it is that we do here at Calvary Chapel. As we're here in the sanctuary, we're taking in the word of God, and to have a small toddler or somebody here would be very, very difficult for them to gain anything, to really understand anything. And so that's why we work very hard in making a very, uh, very much of a uh, children's ministry and nursery that is safe, that the children are learning at their level, that they're being taught, they're being loved. And we have people that have taught the children for years, over a decade, that have been faithful to doing that, making sure they're signed in, making sure that they are being taught. And we want to be able to provide for that. And we welcome children. Please don't misunderstand me. But we want to be able to minister most effectively. And so we've made it to where, you know, if somebody very small is here, that they can go, and I understand when parents want to hold on to their kids. We had four kids. And when they come and visit, we expect that, and we know that. And that's why we have the coffee shop where they can hear the service and see the service and be more comfortable. But here, as I teach for 45, 50 minutes, a young toddler isn't going to really understand and especially as we go through a book of the Bible, like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that we're talking about, you know, a young man that's living in adultery with his stepmother. It's hard for a small child to understand and get a grasp of. And so that's why we do what it is that we do. Again, please don't ever think that young children are not welcome here. They are welcomed here but we want to minister to them most effectively. And that's why we have children's ministry during the time that we have Bible study going here and to be able to minister to them and a place for them and, and for us to be quiet. And I think I feel fairly strong about this, um, that we keep distractions at a minimum in here as the word of God is going forth because my dad got saved when he was 66 years old. When he came to a Calvary Chapel and he could hear the Word of God being taught clearly and the gospel being presented very clearly without distractions. And that means a lot to me. And of course, it meant a lot to him. He went home to be with the Lord. And that's why I want to work very hard in making sure that as the Word of God goes forth, it goes back forth to where people are understanding it and are able to hear it. So, yes, children are welcome here. We love the children. We, we have so many kids around here. And um, it's a blessing, and it's a blessing to see them grow up. And we want to be able to minister to them on their level to where they have understanding. So here we see that um, they are learning, uh, those with understanding, um, and we see that they read from morning till midday. That's about six hours. This is the first five books of the Bible. And the ears of the people were, notice, attentive. We need to be attentive as we hear the word of God. In verse 4, as we continue reading, so Ezra described, stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose, and beside him at his right hand stood these guys that are mentioned there, 13 of them in verse 4. and verse 5, Ezra opened the book of the sight uh, in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, uh, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. So the people stood to hear the word. You know, some churches still do that, that when they go over the text that they read, they'll have everybody stand up for the reading of those verses and then sit back down, and then there's the teaching on what it is that they just read. So that's a custom. That's where they get that from here in Nehemiah chapter 8. But they were doing this reading. The people stood to hear the word. At least you guys have a chair to sit in. For six hours they were doing this. And, um, and 
Ezra stood on a platform so that he could be more easily seen. And then there's a list of these guys, as I mentioned, next to him. In verse 6, the result of the reading of the word was not, boy, I'm glad that's over with. That was sure a long service. Do we realize how precious and how blessed we are to have the word of God being read to us, to be able to study it, and to make application? How blessed we are to be able to do that on Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings as we gather together. But the result of the reading of the word of God was this, that number one in verse six, the people thank God. They said, amen, amen, so be it. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you that we have your word. Thank you that we're hearing it, that it's being read to us. Second of all, they prayed by lifting up their hands. They're praying to the Lord. Have you ever done that? When the word of God is going forth, you're going, oh, thank you, Lord, for this word. I needed that promise. I needed that word. And then you begin to pray, Lord, you know, I just thank you for that word. I praise you. Oh, Lord, you're so good. Your love, your faithfulness, your goodness that I see through your word. And then thirdly, they worshiped. There was a bowing, thanksgiving and prayer and praise. That should be the result of the word of God that goes forth and as we hear the word of God. It reminds me of what Paul would write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and every, everything give thanks. Remember that whenever that we see commandments given in the New Testament, there's always an illustration of it in the Old Testament. Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. So the illustration of that is here in Nehemiah chapter 8, that they thanked God, they, they prayed, and they worshiped the Lord as the word of God went forth. In verse 7, these guys listed Joshua and the others there, um, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book of the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. So the Levites, these guys uh, around Ezra, they helped the people to understand. They're given the word, and they're applying the word to them so, you know, they understand what is being said. So three aspects, that you hear the word of God, that you understand the word of God, and then you apply the word of God. So it's very important that you first hear it, and then you understand it. And I just want to encourage you that parents, those of you who are teaching your children, or if you're ministering to, uh, you know, discipling some guys or, or whoever it might be, gals, you're discipling a couple of gals at work. If you are ministering to a small group, if you're teaching children's ministry, if you're teaching youth, whoever it is, a home fellowship that you're ministering to, teach in a way that people understand. Sometimes I hear people teach and they try to get so philosophical or so intelligent and so, you know, um, you know, academic you know about the text that i hear it and i think i have no idea what you're saying so simply teach the word of god simply give the word of god give them understanding historical context you know what's going on and then make application and if we can do that if i can do that here tonight and you can go away and take something then then the word of god uh, has been applied and learned and read and it's going to touch your heart and it's going to bless your life but don't try to get so complicated and clever and i'm going to get all philosophical because you're going to lose people pastor chuck used to say put the cookies where the kids can get them all right just do that just do that when you're ministering to your family guys or you have opportunity to minister to somebody who's wondering, who's just all confused about things. Just give them the word of God and some understanding and say this is how you can apply it in your life. As you minister to whoever God has given to you to minister to, put the cookies where they can be you know, taken and eaten and just simply give the word of God to people. And don't make it complicated. Don't try to impress people with, 
you know, all this other stuff. Just simply give the word of God in a very clear way. And I think that's a great need in the church today. In verse 9, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the scribe, priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way and eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send the portions of those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the, Lord, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Why were they weeping? Because they're being convicted. They're being touched by the Word of God. And we know that Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that the Word of God is alive. It's like a two-edged sword. And as Paul was telling Timothy, Timothy, you must continue in the Scriptures from which you have learned. You must continue in those things that you've learned from childhood. And then Paul would say um, after that, he would continue telling uh, Timothy that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, profitable for, um, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, that is mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. It is God-breathed, it is inspired, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness that every man of God may be complete, man or woman, hearing the word of God go forth. In other words, that's the way to maturity, instruction in righteousness, that we can be wise for salvation, the word of God doing its work in our hearts. And we as Christians today especially need to make the decision, are we going to believe what the word of God says? Because there's a lot of human philosophy that is coming into the church and psychology and all this other stuff that's coming in that is against what God's word has to say. And I hear Christians more and more say this, that, you know what, I know what God's word has to say, but I don't agree with it. Because these experts over here say this, or this is what the world is saying. And we need to decide, are we going to believe them, or are we going to believe God? Are we going to believe the Bible and say, this is what the word of God has to say, and this is truth? And I don't care how smart the experts may be. If it contradicts the word of God, either God is wrong or they are wrong. And God is not wrong. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. He's not a truth. He's not one of many truths. That he is truth. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Sometimes people come along and say, well, the Word of God has to be changed to, to catch up with the culture and all this other stuff. So whenever you hear that, be on guard when somebody comes along and says, well, this is what the Bible says, but this is really what the experts are saying. And they begin to take the Word of God and the shelf it or tell you, you know, to question it or don't believe it. And they begin to bring confusion. All scripture, not most scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration or God breathed and is profitable. Are we going to take this book and are we going to say this is the manual for absolute truth? You know, the latest statistics show that most young people, a majority of them in high school and, and college age, they don't believe in absolute truth anymore. They believe that all religions have a little bit of truth in them. And it's sad to see what is going in the trend that we are seeing. There are more and more that are saying, well, you know what? You can speak against immorality and homosexuality, but we don't believe that. That's not, that's not right. And so we got a decision. Are we going to stand on what the truth of God's word has to say and love people enough to say this is what God declares because he loves you? And this is the way of the salvation to repent and turn to Jesus who died for your sins because of his love for you. And he desires for you to surrender your life and to give you that abundant life and knowing that as we hear the word of God that he says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
The joy of the Lord is your strength. They were told not to weep because they could walk in the joy because God had restored and was working. And we know that the Lord wanted to do so much. And he wants to do so much in our lives as well. You know, Psalm 16 tells us that in thy presence is fullness of joy. And if you are one that you're going to follow the ways of the world and take in the philosophy of the world, then it's going to leave you discouraged and defeated. If you want to have true joy, then be in the Word of God and stay close to Him. In your presence, Lord, is fullness of joy. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's going to keep you strong. And I don't know about you, but it's great joy for me to be able to read God's word and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that I see your word. I hear your commandments. uh, I see your truth here, and it's for me and your promises. And I can stand on that. And you've written this for me so I can do well in life and experience that abundant life that Jesus has for me. In verse 11, so the Levites quieted all the people saying, Be still, for today is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. There was rejoicing as the word of God again was read and then they were taught the word of God and then the word of God was applied. It saddens me when I see somebody leave upset and angry because they heard the word of God. How can you say that? I read it right from here. You've got to take it up with the Lord. But don't get angry with it. God loves you, and that's why I want to remind you in 1 John that it tells us that this is the love of God that you keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. In other words, every commandment that God gives to you and to me is an expression of His love for you, and it's not to be burdensome. I'll tell you the truth on this. The world will be burdensome to you. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You take on the yoke of the world and the ways of the world and the burden of the world is going to be very heavy and it's going to be very hard and it's going to be very defeating. So here what we see is as we take in the word of God and apply it in our lives, it will bring us joy. And we know how to live that life in Christ. We don't have to be deceived. We don't have to be in darkness. We can be wise and strong and experience just the way God, you know, wants us to live. But have real purpose and meaning in life. And verse 13, now on the second day of the heads of the father's houses, of all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra, the scribe, in order to understand the words of the law. So again, the leaders gather once again for the study of the word of God. Listen, leaders, listen, dads. We need to continue to study God's word. Don't stop. Don't stop. I've talked to people that said, oh, at one time I was going to church and I was in Bible study and I was learning the word. But, you know, I've done that, been there kind of attitude. Don't stop continuing in the word of God. I'm reminded how Paul, Paul was one at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Timothy, come to me quickly, bring my coat. And I can just picture Paul in that dark, damp, dungeon winter's coming bring my coat it's going to be cold but more than anything he writes to timothy bring the parchments bring the parchments the word of god here's a man that wrote a lot of the new testament and he's saying timothy in my last days my departure's at hand he would say i want you to bring a coat and all have left me except for luke And the Lord's been with me. And he says, bring the parchments so I can read and continue in the word of God. And may we continue, we must continue in the scriptures that you've learned from childhood. Don't stop. Because when you stop, then you're on a slippery slope. And you start hearing other voices and you start getting lethargic spiritually and it can happen continue in the scriptures and that's what they're doing here especially those who are leading dads moms to our children don't stop keep teaching the word of god keep pointing the word of god to your kids keep giving it to them over and over and over again just like we need the word of god over and over and over again 
And then in verse 14, they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem saying, go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees and myrtle branches, palm branches and branches of leafy trees to make booths as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one in on the roof of his house or in their courtyards or in the courts of the house of God and in the open square of the water gate and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. Verse 17, so the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths for since the days of Joshua the son of Nun until the day the children of Israel had not done so and there was very great gladness, underline that. Also day by day from the first day until the last he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. The people kept the feast of booths. Now you know from the book of the law that they read from that there's three major feasts that they were to celebrate. There was the uh, Passover feast followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the spring. And then um, shortly after that, there was the, the Feast of Weeks, First Fruits. That's where they brought the first fruits of the harvest. It was called Pentecost. And then in the fall was the Feast of Tabernacle. Now the Feast of Tabernacle, you see it in the Gospels. You remember in John's Gospel, and by the way, on Sunday we're going to start John's Gospel. It's going to be a wonderful study that we're going to do going through John's Gospel verse by verse. But you see that Jesus would stand up on the last day of the feast and he cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of his belly will flow torrents of living water. So we'll go over that in John's Gospel. And we know that Jesus said that on the last day of the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. And what they would do in Jesus' days, the people would come just as they're celebrating here, and they would make booths. They, they would, you know, make little, the house tops were flat um, as they're building their homes here, and they'd make a little tent. It was like a week-long camp out is what it was in Jerusalem. And they would look at the stars and they would remember how their forefathers slept under the stars there in the wilderness and how God provided water and how God provided manna. And then they came into the promised land. So it was a great celebration. And here they're going to celebrate the Feast of, of Tabernacle because God has brought them back into the land once again. He has brought the Jewish people, this is what is an absolute miracle. Not once from captivity, the Babylonian, but twice. Because in 70 AD, what happens? Titus and the Roman legions surround Jerusalem. They break through the walls. They rip the temple apart. Jesus said not one stone would be left upon another. It was true. They ripped the temple apart. They destroyed Jerusalem, just like the Babylonians in 586 did. Destroyed the second temple. The Jews were dispersed. And now, 2,000 years later, they come back into the land just as God's word declares. You know, people who say to me, the Bible's not true, then explain Israel to me. Explain Israel to me. That promises that were made 2,500 years ago that they would come back into the land after the captivity. And even Jesus spoke about it. And there is a growing trend even among evangelicals of what is called the replacement theology that God is through with Israel. Them being back in the land is just a coincidence that the promises that God gave to them is null and void because they were responsible for crucifying Jesus. And so they will say that there's no significance of Israel in the last days and that is not the heart of scripture at all. Even Jesus said when he was weeping over Jerusalem that he would say to them, you will see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is after the triumphal entry. Jesus is saying that you're not going to see me. I'm going to be crucified, but I am going to come back and then you're going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the restoration of Israel. And Paul says, have 
You know, God forsaken his people? Has he cast them out? He says, certainly not. And he talks about the plan in Romans chapter 11, very clear to me that he has a plan for Israel. And then in that day that their eyes are opened up and they recognize that Jesus is their Messiah at the end of the tribulation period, Paul says in that day, all of Israel will be saved. He's not through with Israel. And as you look at the prophetic scenario, that you cannot have those things come to pass that are written there unless Israel is a nation. It is the focal point, the epicenter of end-time prophecy. But there are more and more that are saying, dismiss Israel. We shouldn't be looking for the return of the Lord. You know, and, and, and just bringing doubt and confusion to what the Scripture has to clearly say. In our lifetime, we have seen the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36 and 37 of a dry bones that come together and they become skeletons and then the skins and the, you know, the muscles and, and their corpse and God breathes life into them. It's talking about a nation that comes alive again. And Amos, he talks about that prophet that when they come back in the land, they won't be plucked out again. It talks about how God's going to restore the nation of Israel and the promises and, and the millennium reign. And, and God is going to see them through. He has a plan for them. He has a plan for the church. And he's going to take us out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. That the time's going to come and the rapture of the church, a generation of Christians are going to be taken up into heaven snatched up as we talked about in first thessalonians chapter four and then daniel's 70th week that final seven year period where god is going to be dealing with the nation of israel we're going to see that god will pour out his spirit to where there are many in the tribulation that will come to christ as a result of 144,000 jews that are saved by god each 12,000 from the 12 tribes of israel is kind of interesting in revelation chapter 7 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe. He lists all 12 tribes. And there are those who say, oh, those aren't Jews. It's the church. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but, you know, it's pretty clear to me. So we need to be careful again, you know, what it is that we're hearing, the things that, that we're seeing. So Zechariah chapter 14 tells us that in the millennium reign that the nations will come and they will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles once again and i want to close with this but notice as i said that in verse 17 that there was very great gladness listen obedience to god's word you know what the result's going to be is gladness disobedience to god's word is going to be sadness be obedient to god's word and there's going to be gladness and joy and strength and wisdom correction instruction for righteousness that we may be complete, mature and live the way that God wants us to live. I don't think there's anybody here that says, I don't want gladness in my life. At least I hope not. We want gladness. We want joy. We want strength. You want that? Continue in the scriptures which you have learned. Learn it and then apply it in your life. And God will bless you. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this lesson. And just, Lord, what Nehemiah shows us, the importance and the priority of knowing God's word. And we don't want to neglect it. It may be neglected in much of Christianity today in preference of signs and preference of experience or preference of prosperity messages of that are not the gospel we know that it was paul that warned timothy about that and we know that it was paul that would say that those who say that you know godliness um you know is a means of gain that we are to withdraw ourselves from them and those who desire to just pursue that fall into temptation in this snare into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition lord we know that you can bless us and every good gift comes from above and we thank you for everything that we have whether it's a lot or whether it's little but more importantly we want to be rich towards you 
towards the eternal things. That's what the priority is. To seek your kingdom first and its righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto us. Father, I know that sometimes teaching this is not always easy, but we see the storm clouds gathering. Just as this afternoon, we, we know that there was warnings and watches out for the weather, and we watched the clouds gather and the storms, and that's what we're seeing spiritually. And Lord, we know that evil men and impostors are going to grow worse and worse. That Jesus, when he in Matthew chapter 24 was talking about the signs of the last day, the very first thing that he said is take heed that you don't become deceived. We don't want to be deceived. We want to have joy. We want to have strength. We want to have gladness of heart. And so Lord, help us in our own lives to be learning the scriptures and continue in it as we read, as we learn, and then apply it in our lives. And help us give that to others. Help us to be a light and encourage people in truth. Because we know that the world is in direct conflict with what the Word of God has to say. And we hurt for people. We hurt for people that, that are close to the truth. We hurt and are concerned for our loved ones and, and people that we work alongside of and neighbors. Oh, Lord, help us to be light, not only to be a witness with the words we speak, but our love towards them, our compassion. Lord, we want to just have them see the reality of Jesus in us. And I know, Lord, that, that all of us know people that they're not doing well spiritually. May we continue to pray for them to love them and have wisdom, discernment. Lord, help us just be a light. And we pray for our loved ones. We pray for those that we care about that don't know you or don't want to hear your word. We pray that you take the blindness away, soften their hearts. Lord, that they would come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the gospel and his love for them. Help us not compromise the truth, but have that balance of truth and grace. Just as Jesus was full of grace and truth, we want to as well. And Lord, I thank you that we can come each and every week and grow in the Word of God, that we can do it on our own devotions. May we be men and women of the Word and of the Spirit of God working in our lives. We know that's when true revival happens. And Lord, give us wisdom not to be pulled into the weirdness or into the deception of what's out there that has come and infiltrated the church. But Lord, that we would be ones that we can check it out with what the Word of God has to say. Father, I pray if there's anyone here tonight that needs Jesus, that you've never come to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you're watching on live stream. That you would know that Jesus loved you so much that he died for you personally. And he went to a cross and he died for your sins because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And it is faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that will bring salvation to you as you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins. You need to turn to him, surrender your life to him, confess that you are a sinner, and come and just receive him, that free gift of salvation. You can't earn it. And you ask him into your heart. He rose from the grave. He's alive, knocking on the door of your heart. Will you let him in? And you pray, Jesus, come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that you're the Son of God who died for me, a sinner. And I thank you that you died for me and that you were put into a grave and you rose again. You're alive, knocking on the door of my heart. I surrender to you now fully and completely as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you. Thank you for salvation and thank you for your love for me. 
Lord, I pray you take us all home. We do 